Joe, how are you doing today? Well, I couldn't be more ecstatic about being on Entrepreneurial Impact today for our uh, podcast on the recession numbers that are coming in front of us now that, like I said, recession, because we all know that like negative stuff always sells on the media. But no, we're not going to be talking about negative things. No, no. <laughs> we don't watch the news. <laughs> well, the news definitely doesn't actually instill any type of vigor or uh, stability in this right now. But I think what's really cool about today's episode is really, you know, you wanted to talk about numbers. And I think that's actually a great thing to look at right now based on conversion numbers and just units and listing inventory. But I wanted to bring us back to start the episode off of um, really just history repeats itself with different players. And I think I was doing some research for one of my um, operating principal calls for our market centers about, hey, everyone's like doom and gloom, no inventory. How am I going to like make cash flow go up? Okay, interest rates went down a little bit. So we got some better yeah. written contracts in March. But like there's still this thing of like, what's the silver bullet? And I'm really excited for you to talk about the numbers because I think that's actually really important. Yeah, there. Well, the fact of the matter is, there is no silver bullet, right? The silver bullet is it's it's fundamental baseball here, guys, right? It's moving guys around the diamond one at a time, and in order to move that needle, you need to know what your numbers are. So when we talk about knowing your numbers, what we're actually saying is like we, some people call it the language of real estate or your lore, right? So what we're saying is, how many people do you need to get in front of to schedule an appointment? How many phone calls do you need to make to get an appointment? How many appointments do you need to get on? to get somebody to say, yes, I'm ready to work with you. In today's world, now, I don't know how many people are listening uh, had their license in 07, right? Here's the difference between 07 and now is the reasoning doesn't matter. The results are the same. Our associates are struggling, right? The ultimate, at the end of the day, the numbers are down because they have less listings. And even though there's pent up buyer demand, it's affected because there are less listings. So your numbers, your conversion rates for those appointments, for those phone calls that equate to those contracts, right? You're laughing at me. That's all right. Well, no, 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 no. I, I think I think you're dead on. The reason I'm laughing is, is when something gets uncomfortable, yeah. right? I always kind of laugh. It's like, what's the opposite? I start crying. Um, <laughs> what I hear you actually saying to our associates is that if you want to be successful in this market, you got to do this thing that nobody likes to do. Phone right? calls. Phone calls. <laughs> everyone wants to be Instagram famous, right? Instant gratification. But you know, in order to do that, to be successful, you got to do this dirty thing, this four letter dirty word called work. Yeah. Right. You actually got to go in and do stuff you didn't have to do the past three years in order to get the same result you had in during COVID. Right. And that seems hard. Right. It seems really, really hard. Well, right. Well, during COVID, things got relatively easy. Right. People realize that, that while they may love their significant other spouse or kids, they just couldn't be in the same house with them 24-7, so they needed more room. So the things went crazy. Now, the great thing about that time is that we were very focused on what we thought was going to be a challenging time, and we talked about expenses and finances. So people got win-win at that time because they were focused on cutting their business, right? And their business exploded at the same time. So they did the one thing that most people don't plan to do, which is really hold themselves accountable to their finances and grow their business. Now, if we could only do that on a regular basis, right? Um, yeah. So here's the here's the cool part, right? I, I'm not that smart. I grew up in Florida, right? So once again, Florida man over here. And there's actually this really great show on Netflix. Uh, it's not safe for work. And if you have kids, probably don't turn it on. But there's a really funny show called Net, uh, this past week on Netflix called Florida Man. And if you want some like comic relief, watch it. But my point is, is that 
I'm not that smart, but I just watch for patterns and I go listen to people that are really smart and I just rip off and duplicate. So when I was thinking about everyone's talking about there's a recession coming, all this kind of negative stuff in the media and what do I do? And my business is down and this sounds unsexy, but you just got to go do the work. So let me just backtrack some to the early 1980s recession here, right? So the recessions of the early 90s were very similar to those that happened in the early 80s, right? So we had very similar in the 80s and 90s, right? So in there are all three of these recessions that happened in the 80s, which was January 1980 to July of 80. Then you had July of 1981 to November of 1982. And then the third one being July 1990 to March 1991. So these are the timeframes we're looking at. So now, for those of you in our audience that were in diapers or not even around in 1980, they're going to say, well, why does this matter now? Because once again, history repeats itself, just different, different people, right? So all three were caused by a disruption in global oil supply and federal monetary policies in place to fight inflation. Huh, interesting. Didn't OPEC just come out like two weeks ago and say uh, we're cutting oil supply? Interesting. So you got trucking, shipping, uh, what else, A heating? What else gets powered by like OPEC oil distribution? Pretty much everything that we consume, right? So, (laughs) wow, oil supply is being brought back. Monetary policies are increasing to fight inflation. Wow, it seems like the 1980s have a very similar situation that we're in, uh, except for the amount of qualitative easing that went in in the past three years. We won't touch on that one. As a result, the United States experienced stagflation at a time when both high interest and unemployment rates. Now, we don't have high unemployment rates. Nope. We'll see what happens. You know, Time will tell. Despite the insane interest rates that range, now, once again, going back to the 80s, between 12% and 18% with these economic downturns, do you want to tell me what the price appreciation was in 1980 and 1981 and 82? I would love to tell you if I had it sitting here in front of me. All right. All right. Yeah. Once again. <laughs> if I knew my numbers. Right. So what's fascinating is in 19, with all those things, 12 to 18% interest rate hikes, 1980 still had a 4.5% increase in prices. Okay. And in 1981 and 1982, it was 1.9%. So even with stagflation coming in, oil pricing going up with less inventory, and interest rates going up to 12 to 18%, you still had price appreciation. Now, you could argue that there's some you know play with monetary uh, I'm sorry, when you look at the supply of money going into the market, they could have had an impact today that you didn't have back then. Of course. But whatever. Let's go into the 1990s, right? Another short recession heard in the 1990s was caused by the Fed's restrictive monetary policy intended to reduce inflation along with oil price shock relating to the invasion of Kuwait. Interesting. Oil. Oil. And interest rates, I think we're dealing with both of them. The economy slowed for a short nine months as oil prices soared. Despite having similar causes as the Great Recession, the effect on the housing market was completely different. While home prices went down during this period, the drop was less than 1%. Hmm. So what I'm getting from this and those three recessions is that the economy could have impacts on the housing, but it doesn't always have to, right? Yeah. Well, and that's why I look at what, like, so when we talk about, there's different kinds of numbers in play, right? So we let off, you're talking about economic drivers and numbers, Absolutely. right? And the numbers that I'm coming back are the agent numbers, mm-hmm. right? Are they affected? Sure. Do those drivers go in different directions? Yes, because we can talk about the numbers that are affecting and what's different for our, for most people that, when they look at the most recent challenge of 07 to now, was the overinvestment, right? The underqualified, the stated loans, right? Overconstruction. Right, the builders had so much going on. None of that's in play right now. Correct. So when we hear we're having a tough time, it really just stemmed down to inventory. Mm-hmm. 
Now, it's also a factor of creation because of the great time that we had. And I hate to say great time. We'll talk business great time during the COVID years of the explosive, right? And what happened, right? The interesting thing is when I left Arizona in 2012 and came here, interest rates were down to 3%. And by the time I thought I would get around to buying a house and establish myself in Northern Virginia, I never thought I would see those rates, right? I always knew that they they needed to, I'm not say wanted to, needed to get back to 5%, right? That, that was always the goal. But because of all the other things happening in the good times, they left the numbers down, right? They didn't move them. But then we go to, right, 2020 and the housing boom of everybody buying everything exploding because of the costs. Right, money was so low. Right, inventory was you know not great, but feeding frenzy on properties for explosion. So now, when we looked at to where we are now, again, still a shortage of inventory. Now, what we don't have is the why or the reasoning that most people will move, upsizing, downsizing, relocation. Right, they had gotten such a great buy financially because of the interest rates. That if you don't have a reason to truly have to move right now, that's also having effect on the amount of houses that are on the market. So right. when we talk about your numbers, Joe, you need to know who in your world bought then, before then. And I'm not saying that you bought the house with them, but you know how long they've been in the house, right? Do they have equity in the house? Almost everybody does now, but how much equity? Or where are they in their life cycle with kids and families? How are they in their job? Are they nearing retirement? And having those conversations and understanding that while rates are high, their equity is high. But if they came to the market now that, yeah, where are they going to go? But understanding to have the conversation around buying a house now, leveraging the mortgage rates where they are now, and not letting the scarcity of mindset that we keep hearing on the news that is doom and gloom to understand that there's opportunity in every market. Exactly. And I think here's another point to these opportunity markets, because once again, I don't need to be a genius. I just need to rip off and learn from people so I don't make the same mistakes, right? Right. So think about this one. Early 2000s, there was another economic downturn. Obviously, we had 9-11. But think about this one. So this shorter economic downturn that occurred in 2001 was caused, obviously, by a combination of tech stocks. Y2K, do you remember that? When all everybody's computers were going to turn yes, over because is, we couldn't go to 2000, right? It was going to go to like 01 and everybody thought it would be 1901, right? Yes. Tech, So tech companies were overvalued, right? And they just went, everyone threw Y2K. money into it. Y2K. And you could say that might have been the crypto rush that we saw in the past three years as well. But think of, this is the crazy part. All right, so when the attacks happened in 9-11, you had the bubble burst of technology between 1999 and 2000, and then you had 9-11 happen. So 9-11 happened, and the New York Stock Exchange was shut down from September 11th to September 17th, right? So you had a massive drop in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and a recession hit to the, to the actual stock market. But what's interesting is during that period of time, which was only about nine months, home prices increased by 4.8%. So even though you had a massive attack on our New York Stock Exchange and you had a tech bubble happen, when it actually came out and you looked at that same period of time in the early 2000, 1990 to 2002, there was a 4.8% price increase. So it does just because they can be impacted by each other, meaning your economics like of the actual U.S., doesn't mean it's always going to directly impact the housing market because you saw price appreciation. In all four of these recessions that I just went over that didn't have to deal with mortgage and fogging a mirror to get one, you actually saw a little bit of growth or flat at the most part with negligible increases in interest rates outside of the ones you're talking about 12 to 18% back in the 80s. Yeah. 
So when you think about it, the biggest impact, the biggest drop in pricing that we've seen in a recession was due to mortgage-backed securities and people getting you know fogged up mirrors to actually qualify for a loan. We saw 30% decrease in price appreciate or in price points during 07 to 09 because it was this whole collapse of our economy was due to mortgages. Yep. So I got a question then with no equity. They had no equity in the no homes, right. Right? right? So if we know that oil's an issue right now, interest rates are going up to fight inflation, right? We have no inventory and we have low unemployment, right? And our interest rates are actually getting up to like six and a half, probably seven, right? How much do you think the price appreciation of homes is going to collapse? Can't. Why is that? There's too much demand. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the way that I look at it, right? And again, having lived through it before is that the prices may stabilize. They may flatten off. They won't continue to blow, but they can't drop 10, 15, 20. Heck, Joe, I knew, I knew people that lost 50, 60% value in their homes mm-hmm. in, in 07. The, the driving factors of where we are today just say that that, that shouldn't happen. I'm not going to say can't because you can never say can't. But the lack, the extreme lack of inventory. Now, the pulse of mortgage rates will slow things down to a great. And here's what happened. We saw in January and February of this year that what? All of a sudden they went from where they were over seven to down to six or a tick down below. What happened? The floodgates open again, right? Yeah, because you had fear of missing out, right? Your buyers that were sitting on the sidelines like, oh, there was, you know, sub 3% interest rates. I'm going to wait for that. When they saw it skyrocket to over, you know, seven and a quarter, they're like, oh, I guess it's not going down the sub 3%. I might as well jump in the pool of the water because it's actually warm now. Exactly. And and there's that comfort level, right, of understanding, hey, you just have to recognize it. that 3%, that 10 years that we sat there, that that's really in the rearview mirror now. Oh, 100%. So here's my question. If you see that the only time that the real estate market was really tied to the downturn of the economy. Also, let me bust a bubble here. Um, what the definition of a recession? What is that? Oh, so let me just you know take out once the uh, Stuart Little two consecutive there. quarters of negative GDP. Negative GDP. GDP is what I was missing. We had a recession in 2022. Did y'all survive? A little bit. Yeah. So let's understand what a recession is. And leading with our emotions don't actually cause great decisions. So we need to look at logic. And I just went through several recessionary periods where the housing market actually flat or had growth. What's actually interesting is in some of these recessions, like early 2000s, um, when the stock market actually tanked, a lot of people moved their capital into real estate because it was seen as an alternative investment vehicle that was actually more stable than the stock market based on what they had experienced during that collapse. so that being said, inside of real estate, the one thing that we don't like to do is that scary word called work that's, you know, gets us to success. Market of the moment and light lead prospecting for clients is always going to dominate. So what are your th- thoughts on that for tracking, Dave? I think you have to track everything. So you got to know what works for you, right? You can look at all the tools that are out there and a lot of the money that you're spending. If we're spending and buying leads, that's a lead and a way to lack of profitability, right? If you're spending and buying your leads in this market, you're buying the same leads that everybody else is buying. But what you have and what others don't, hopefully, is a database, right? So you have to know with the people that you're talking to, right, on a regular basis, that what their needs are. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. 
right? And the more you communicate and talk to those people and know that your numbers that, hey, in that world, right? Typically what I would always say everybody for every hundred people that you're in relationship, and I know I define relationship at a high level, right? Which means I know a ton about them, not just somebody I have in my database, but statistically speaking, you look at six to 10% of every people, every hundred people you're in a relationship with is either going to buy something, sell something, or know somebody who does, right? That's statistically. Now, if we know that we're in challenging times because of inventory, but don't they still hold to be true? Even if I had dropped from six to 10 to three to 5% of the people I'm in a relationship with, right? That's good numbers. Here's what I think around these like numbers and things like that. The numbers tell you a story and it just tells you what you need to do, right? So maybe it's increasing your phone calls or increasing your follow-up or changing how you market or communicate yourself from a value proposition. There's a million different things you can do. But here's the one piece I think is really important about your numbers is that it gives people a path forward. The one thing that I constantly hear from an objection handle is that like, well, the market's down or there's less inventory, all that kind of stuff. Here's the real life thing that rubber hits the road. Um, are you going to go to your kids and say, guess what, kids? We don't have anything in the fridge because the market's down and I can't, I'm not going to lead gen because the market told me I can't. Or I can't sell a house because there's no inventory. Well, there is inventory. There's houses being transacted. You just go find the motivated. But I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to basically say, well, market tells me I need to suck. So I'm going to justify my lack of performance by sucking. Well, actually, I think if you look at the numbers and, and I kind of give you the example of 61035 and understand that, hey, the market will actually correct itself for us a little bit internally. When I say the market, I'm talking about the number of agents that are out on the street right now, right? So those have been in business, right? Their numbers have also been affected by the amount of agents that are licensed, right? Because you've got the those on the periphery that may affect you a couple of transactions a year. Now, if we take three to 400,000 agents out of the pool, right? Because that's our, our lag number, right? We're going to see that start to happen because agents pay their money up front of the year, Right. So we won't see a lot of that fall off until the year has gone by. But actively speaking, they're not in the market right now. Right. So the ability for those people that are actually working their sphere, right, the business will continue. So you may see a number of transactions could actually go up if you're doing your work. Right. Your phone's not ringing, so you have to make it. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole idea behind, okay, I got less competition because we're probably going to go from 1.6 million in NAR down to probably like 1.4, 1.3. So I got less agents competing for the business. But it also means what worked for me in three years ago from COVID to now isn't going to make me successful today because it's a different market moment and it's a different situation inside the economy. So the question I'd have for everybody is how are you going to dominate when everyone else is on the sidelines saying, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, that can't be done, oh, it's terrible out there, blah, blah, blah. Well, that doesn't put money in your bank account. And I got three kids, so I'm not about to listen to some person tell me why I need to suck because the market sucks. I'm going to literally be the person that says, how do I drill into my database? How do I go do more open houses? How do I make sure my client appreciations are going out there? How am I communicating my value proposition? How am I adding value through my yeah. social media content so that I am literally positioning myself in front of everybody that's inside of my database as a subject matter expert? And if you want to buy a home in a down market with higher interest rates, but I can actually negotiate for you so your cash out of pockets less and you can actually hold that thing. So when we do go into a deeper recession, I can refinance it because that's what the Fed's going to do. They repeat themselves all the time. Yep. When we go into a recession, they're going to lighten up on the federal interest rates, which means I'm I'm going to be able to refinance that thing out. And yeah, it might be at 6.5, but maybe I got closing costs. Maybe I didn't have to come out of cash. Like we just had a building flexible options. that we just put under contract as a commercial building. And 
We just seller financed a million of this thing at 4% interest. You like you can go out there and make deals happen. You just can't be waiting for it to fall in your lap. No. And that comes to the education piece, right? So if you've only been in business the last couple of years, you just don't know. You don't you you don't know how to build a business and a career in real estate. But for those of you that have been around longer, five, seven, ten years, that have built businesses and had outreach and know what am I doing that's actually driving my business without trying little things here or there. But your top three things are just what you talked about, right? Your leads in your sphere, your open houses, your networking, your events, being in front of your people, right? Those cold long-term leads to nurture are not going to be a productive use of your time. Mm -hmm. Double down on what works and you only know what works if you track it, thus knowing your numbers. All right, well, listen, awesome conversation. And I don't think the, the financial awareness is gonna go away anytime soon. So it's something that I think we need to continue as agents and as leaders to have that conversation and hammer home the point of, do you truly know what's driving your business locally, nationally, and internally. Without further ado, let's close out this episode. Let's close it out. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this week of Entrepreneur Impact, and we'll see you soon.